Welcome to the Life After Death Explored podcast, where we will talk in detail about what happens after the death of the physical body, a condition known as rigor mortis that appears to affect 100% of the population, unless you happen to be some type of extraterrestrial or a scientific genius who has found a way to escape this condition then most likely this subject is of some type of relevance to you so a question that will also be explored on this podcast is why the information has been kept hidden from us the subjects that we will talk about tend to be dismissed and publicly ridiculed despite a abundance of evidence to support the existence of topics related to life beyond the physical body. So if you're new here, a few things to keep in mind. This show is a continuation of the YouTube series, which has been going since about late 2018. This podcast will cover topics that perhaps at times have been covered in the video series over the last year and a half to even two years that I've been producing content on that channel. But on this podcast, I will begin from essentially scratch talking about the nature of the subject, especially targeting those people who are new to this whole rabbit hole. Maybe you've already been down this rabbit hole, and if so, this is at least an opportunity to perhaps go back down the rabbit hole again, which will allow you to maybe see things in a new light or a new perspective. If you are new here, then you might be wondering how could a subject like life after death be taken seriously because... Surely, when the body dies, we become warm food. Our consciousness either doesn't exist or becomes something beyond our comprehension. After all, we are living in a meaningless universe, controlled by rigid materialist laws of physics, which are often encoded into us from an early age in school and certainly reinforced by anybody going into academia and pursuing the hard sciences. However, somewhere in between those hard sciences and the often ridiculed and uh, unfortunately credulous New Age movement, there is a truthful phenomenon known as the continuation of consciousness after death, a phenomenon some have called survival or survival of consciousness, and it has been studied dating back to the spiritualist era and long before by scientists with names like you may have heard, such as Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, both of whom were deeply interested in the mysteries of the continuation of consciousness and perhaps even using electronic means to uh, verify the existences of what they surmise to possibly be other dimensions, other, other dimensional modes of existence where a person's consciousness may somehow continue. Of course, these were not the only big names in history who were very interested in this subject. Many other great scientists, from John Logie Bard, one of the inventors of the radio, to William Crookes, and other famous, famous scientists have 
put a lot of consideration into this most important subject. And even today, many people, many thinkers often say that one of the great mysteries of existence is what happens to us when we die. Joe Rogan, the famous podcast host, recently said that two of the biggest mysteries in life is are we alone in the universe and what happens when we die. The frustrating thing for a researcher like myself is that, in essence, both of these questions have already been answered. The only reason that the answers are not publicly known is because of a combination of social engineering and a lack of education concerning the subject. And so even if the answers are widely given out, people will still insist that it's not real or it's something that should be dismissed. Uh, finally, I want to mention that this podcast is especially important, in my opinion, for people who are suffering from grief, which is an entirely common or, I would say, ubiquitous phenomenon that, that involves all people of all religions and all walks of life. When we lose the people around us who we love, we are not just faced with the loss of those people we love, we are faced with the existential crisis that comes with the social programming that surrounds what death is, the idea of finality and the idea of non-existence. Certainly at a young age, it was this idea of non-existence which was the most terrifying for me and ultimately led me on this pursuit from a very early age. I also came to find that the grief is exacerbated due to the fact that we are told that the consciousness or the perception of existence, that which you are, has the ability to no longer exist, which seems to be something that is altogether alien to our sensibilities. Because how, how is it that existence cannot exist? It doesn't even make any sense. It's like attempting to divide by zero. And we know intuitively that it's a strange, almost irrational belief. But we are told this is the way it is. Uh, perhaps we are even told that it is a dreamless sleep that lasts forever. Of course, the evidence does not say these things. In fact, the evidence points to a very specific direction about what happens after we die. And if this is not taken seriously by you, then it means that your priorities are simply not aligned to this subject matter. However, I find, especially as people grow older and as they are facing this inevitability, suddenly a topic that they once dismissed becomes much clearer and more important, as well as people who have lost loved ones. With that said, one more point is that I have two books about the subject. One is called Understanding Life After Death, which came out in 2015, and the other one is The Afterlife and Beyond, which came out in 2018. These are available at afterlifetopics.com, and I also suggest to get involved at the YouTube page Afterlife Topics and Metaphysics and there is an accompanying Facebook page of the same name Afterlife Topics and Metaphysics. There is uh, also uh, finally a Reddit forum uh, reddit.com slash r slash Afterlife Topics which also covers these issues although this one is more recently made and has a smaller population but all of this constitutes a growing community of people 
who have the courage to put their experiences together and come up with a wider perspective about what it really means to uh, suffer death and what this means for our consciousness, where we go and what happens, as well as finding answers from outside of the perspective of dogmatic religion or dogmatic New Ageism, which is at times just as fundamentalist, rigid, and often demeaning to the experiences of individuals as fundamentalist religion is in regards to this topic. With that said, let's now continue to this first episode, which I call The Basics, which if we a chance to get back to the origin point of much of this information. And for those of you new to these ideas, this would be a nice starting point, I hope, for the greater topic of life after death. So let's continue. Can we be wrong about a fundamental tenet of reality? That is a question that anybody listening to this small, probably relatively unheard show should ask themselves. Can we be wrong about something that we're told our entire lives is one way? Can reality be operating differently from what is reinforced to us continually? Is it not just an element of social conditioning that we see the world and we see the universe a particular way? What about tribal Indians in the, you know, in the two, three thousand years ago in the, in the Americas? Or what about Aboriginal Australians? What about uh, tribal Amazonians? What about uh, Celtic tribes? What about all of these ancient cultures, the Egyptians? Did they have the same models of reality? Well, no, they certainly did not. And today we often look at those cultures with a little bit of arrogance, thinking that we are so much more enlightened in the modern age because we have cold rationality that is able to dismiss all types of superstition. However, what all of those ancient cultures had in common, typically speaking, is a very different paradigm about life and death. And we may look at some of that thinking that most of it is superstitious, but it's impossible to understand exactly how they felt on a day-to-day basis, what their relationship to death was like, and how it was certainly far different from Western modern civilization that often ignores the subject of death, or pushes it aside so deep far into our minds that it only comes to the surface if we want to tantalize ourselves in front of some kind of horror movie where we can be scared out of our wits about the subject of death without still taking it seriously. And this, of course, paints the subject of the para, quote, paranormal in a particular way, where it is something that is scary, spooky, Or at best, if somebody chooses to believe, quote, paranormal evidence, they may say that it's an entirely negative thing where a hopefully we don't end up in a position upon death as rattling around in some attic, a lost soul desperate to uh, experience the joys of having once been alive and that we need some lady who has a mystical bookshop in Los Angeles to come in and wave an incense burner and say, go to the light until Uncle Henry finally 
gets rid of himself and leaves the attic and disappears into some kind of nebulous, formless afterlife with which we know nothing about. And that's often the narrative that people may choose or may, may choose to believe or may not believe depending on what uh, somebody wants to, you know, what, what perspective they want to take up on the subject, if not just taking a purely religious fundamentalist approach to all of it. So that is kind of the way society has has managed this topic and the way it's generally seen. What is what people are unaware of is the vast amount of objective evidence surrounding what we can loosely call spirit communication. Spirit communication would involve different formats of contact with what some would call non-physical entities, although I wouldn't go that far. I would say multidimensional entities or multidimensional sources of consciousness like you and me or anybody. So a person, an individual who is invisible to us and therefore non-physical to us. It doesn't mean that they are non-physical in general. Uh, that's a whole different topic we'll get into someday in the future. But they are individuals who are on a different dimensional wavelength. Now let's understand that there's many there's many spectrums of existence that we cannot see, that we cannot apply tangibility to, except in uh, the way that it may affect our instruments or affect our technology. For example, the infrared spectrum. There's things we cannot see, but we know it's there. It's on a different spectrum. What researchers in the afterlife fields are aware of is that this other spectrum is where very likely other layers of existence, well, where they occur at. When we mean other layers, what we mean by that? Well, we can again look at cosmology and the concept of dark matter. And it's believed that for every every little tiny piece of physical matter we see, there is an equal, actually much greater amount of dark matter which is matter that exists on a different spectrum of existence, on a different dimensional wavelength. And this is mainstream cosmology, mind you. And dark matter is not fully understood. There's many theories about all of it. But uh, the, be you know, the, the best measurements so far have postulated that dark matter is the, makes up the brunt of the universe. We, we can't see it, we cannot touch it, we cannot feel it. What adds all the density to the universe? The answer are dimensional spectrums beyond our perceived capability, beyond what our physical human brain and eyeballs can see. Now, some materialists believe that what our brain perceives and what our physical eyeballs can detect is all that exists, which reminds me of the days when people didn't believe that germs existed because we couldn't see them or touch them and the reason people got sick was because of some poison in the atmosphere, some poisonous gas, or who knows what the explanations may have been back then. Uh, sometimes there was good old-fashioned demons that had to be exercised out of people and that that's what caused, what caused the plague. Although even back then people were aware that there was some invisible component that was affecting our lives much the same way that there were leaders back then or you know kings and uh, people who had the means uh, discovered that they could keep the plague out by burning fires around their thrones in their castles and so the fires would be, would be kept burning uh, day and night during plague epidemics and the reason this probably 
some you know to some small extent worked is because it was acting as an antibiotic it was it was disinfecting the throne rooms the, the heat was literally keeping the virus or not the, the virus but rather the bacteria at bay and so they adapted to that without fully understanding how it happened in this life in this world we are aware that there are other dimensional things kind of affecting our instruments, but we don't really know what it is, how it works, but we do know it's there. And in the afterlife field, in the budding worlds of ghost hunting and things of that nature, we know that there's something there that affects our instruments. We know that we can get anomalous voices on tape recorders and things of that nature, but very, very little is known about what the mechanics of it are and what these so-called spirits are, who they are, what they want, where they exist, and how how close they are to who you and me are and what, what that relationship is to our real lives beyond just entertainment on some reality TV show. And that's where, once again, the topic of spirit communication comes into play. Because, as it turns out, what people have called, quote, ghosts appear to be sentient, conscious individuals on this unseen wavelength who have been making huge strides in communication with us for, gosh, I would say at least the last couple of hundred years. And it has, you know, quite measurably ramped up in recent years through um, not only modern technology but modern interest in the subject and there is now more information about this than any time in history and yet somehow this information has been kept from you why has it been kept from you well that's a that's another topic again to talk about in the future to help understand this i wanted to first turn toward the research of a man named michael time who runs a very popular blog that has extensively researched life beyond the grave for a number of years now. And when asked about what the most definitive proof is of life after death, Time explains that, as uh, Sir Oliver Lodge said, it is the cumulative evidence from that era that is most convincing. He says if he had to pick one medium as the best, one person who claims to have been in contact with entities and consciousnesses from other planes of existence, it would be Etta Wright of Detroit, Michigan. This was a direct voice medium. Although she knew only English, multidimensional entities communicated through her in languages like French, German, Indian, Spanish, Norwegian, Dutch, Croatian, Arabic, and other languages providing information that Wright could not have possibly known or researched. And keep in mind, this was what's known as a direct voice medium. Now, if you hear about mediums being people like John Edwards on TV, getting impressions of you know, kind of vague ideas about, um, I, I sense a loved one wearing a purple dress, and it, could this be your grandmother, things like that. Yes, that could be one type of mediumship, but in this example, we're talking about extreme mediumship which is what I like to call it. This is when mediumship is practiced in a way that is definitively supernatural in nature. And one type of practice of this is called direct voice mediumship. When an anomalous voice enters a seance room that is not connected to the medium, and what is allegedly happening is these 
unseen entities, these multidimensional uh, individuals, have created an apparatus through the medium to communicate into the room, to be able to uh, talk through the medium without actually using the medium's voice, but just some of her perhaps internal organs, like her throat, for example, to create a, a, a method of talking through her, even though her mouth is shut, sometimes sealed shut. In some experiments, the direct voice medium would be given a uh, spoonful of colored water, and then he or she would spit it out at the end to prove that the same water was in her mouth, she was never able to get the tape off, and it was never the medium speaking, that it, the voice just anomalously appears in the room, as difficult as that may be to believe. This is what's been recorded as well by institutions like the Society for Psychic Research. But regardless, Edda Wright was one of these direct voice mediums, but she was not the only one. Uh, as Michael Time talks about in, in this inquiry of what is the, some of the best evidence in his opinion. Second place would go to Lenora Piper of Boston. Now, Piper was not a direct voice medium. She was a trance medium. It took, as uh, Time points out, it took several reads of the Piper materials before he really began to grasp it. And in his book, Reconnecting Lenora Piper, How Science Discovered the Afterlife, he talks about how he tried to present the information in a way that's easy for a layperson to understand, but warns people interested in the subject to avoid Wikipedia. There is a, a very aggressive campaign to make all verifiable accounts of supernatural types of incidences to look as bad as humanly possible, which is part of the social programming, the social conditioning to keep the subject buried in the sand and to prevent people from waking up about many of these elements of reality. So the great afterlife researcher Michael Time cites these two mediums as the best examples of afterlife evidence. And again, this would be Etta Wright of Detroit, Michigan, and Lenora Piper of Boston. And I've done some research on Lenora Piper, and it is one of these incidences where there's